This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we cover the latest updates for SAN and ONTAP 9.8 with Mike Peppers and Praneeth Kabur. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipok. Zipok. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the basement of my house and with me today I have a couple of special guests to talk about SAN with ONTAP. And to do that, uh, first we have Mike Peppers. So Mike, tell us what you do at NetApp and how to reach you. Hi, my name is uh, Mike Peppers. I'm a senior technical marketing engineer at uh, NetApp and I cover all things block. So that would be things like SAN, uh, NVMe, uh, FLI, uh, which is how you import uh Lens from somebody else to ONTAP, uh, FlexArray, which is virtualizing somebody else's lens and then representing them as though it were native NetApp storage. All right. How do we reach you, Mike? Uh, you can reach me at mpeppers at netapp.com. I also am on Twitter where I am uh, NTAP FLI guy. All right. Excellent. Also with us today, Praneeth Kavuri is here. So Praneeth, what do you do at NetApp and how do I reach you? I am product manager for SAN. I handle everything, all the block protocols, as well as uh, the upcoming new innovation, new protocols like NVMe. And you can reach me at vkavuri at rateofnetapp.com. All right, excellent. So, you know, like we said, we're talking about SAN today. And specifically, we're going to talk about SAN in the context of the new ONTAP 9.8 release, which is available as of uh, December for general availability. So before we get into that, let's talk about SAN in general, because I, I feel like people might not understand entirely what SAN is. Uh, so Mike, give me your, your 10,000 foot view of SAN. So this, this oversimplifies, there's lots of details, but at the highest possible level, uh, if you're doing a storage networking of some kind, that tends to come in one of two flavors. You have SAN storage area networking, where essentially we present blocks of data. So 4K blocks, here's 10,000 of them. We call it a LUN, we present it to you. Uh, you, the host OS, Windows, Linux, et cetera, basically are gonna partition and put a file system on those blocks, and then you're going to maintain that file system. So all intents and purposes to Windows, that LUN ends up looking like it is just a native Windows disk. So that is NAS. Or I'm sorry, that is SAN. It's not NAS, Mike. Yeah, that is absolutely not NAS. That is SAN. See, this is why we Uh, talk about it, because people get confused. (laughs) Uh, NAS, on the other hand, is where we, the storage uh, controller, actually own the file system. So we're not presenting blocks to you. We're presenting files. And so we maintain exactly what the file structure is inside of which folders and so on. And then we present that. Uh, so you'd be able to consume that either uh, using SMB, so it would look like a Windows file system, or NFS, uh, which is going to look like a Linux or Unix file system. In fact, the way to determine is it SAN or NAS is ask the question, who owns the file system? You answer that question and you have defined that it is either a NAS or a SAN. Right. And and when whether you use NAS or SAN comes down to the use case. So Mike, what are the use cases that people would use SAN for versus something like NAS? So SAN is the much bigger of the two flavors. Um, so the, the, the beauty of SAN is, is, is because I'm presenting blocks to you and I'm, you're relying on the host operating system to manage those, put a file system on them and so on. Uh, basically, that's going to be available and useful to virtually any application Uh, would be able to use it. Generally speaking, where uh, SAN is going to be used is is, is, uh, high-performance workloads, things like uh, enterprise uh, databases or ERPs, things of that nature, where you're looking for consistent high-performance with very little jitter. That is to say that you're getting roughly the same performance level uh, as opposed to having peaks and bursts. Uh, so that's going to be the most common place that you're going to see that. Uh, NAS, on the other hand, typically is, is when you actually have an application that is able to uh, use a file system as opposed to actually having to maintain control of the file system the way, say, an Oracle database frequently might. 
Right. And, and it also comes down to connection points, right? Like if you have a, you know, thousands and thousands of connections being made to a common data set, you probably want to go with NAS versus a SAN deployment because the SAN deployment is going to be basically all the connections coming in through the servers that are, that are hosting those, unless you have a cluster involved. Mm-hmm. Well, so there's, that is one thing. Another is, is going to be your physical infrastructure itself. If you, it, it's, so SAN, uh, the most common uh, infrastructure going are going to be fiber channel first with about 80% or so of the uh, existing SAN workload. iSCSI being almost all of the rest of it with NVMe, uh, primarily NVMe FC and uh, Rocky being maybe one or two percentage points. And then last but not least, you have a little bit of FCOE and almost invariably when you find FCOE, you also find Cisco UCS. That is it almost seems like they're uh, 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 twins of each other or, or work together all the time. So we've got a good handle on SAN and, you know, what it is and how, how to, just, I guess, determine what it is between NAS. How does ONTAP implement it? What sort of flavors of SAN can we expect from ONTAP? So ONTAP uh, offers fiber channel. It also offers iSCSI. Uh, which is going to be uh, essentially encapsulating uh, SCSI command sets and data inside of uh, IP. Um, we also offer FCOE and now NVMe uh, FC, which is one of the many NVMe transports that are available. We also are working on uh, two additional NVMe transports that both are going to use Ethernet. Uh, those would be Rocky, which is RDMA over converged Ethernet, and NVMe TCP, which is uh, NVMe commands and payloads uh, inside of a TCP datagram. We we run the gauntlet. Right. So, I mean, as far as platforms go, what sort of options do we have there? So, in terms of platforms, uh, you have uh, FAS. Typically, there will be some spinning media or it might be hybrid. Uh, we also have uh, AFAs in the form of uh, the AFF or A-series. Uh, those are all flash FAS. That is, those are all platforms that are 100% flash. There is no spinning media. And then most recently, we have introduced a personality uh, that is an offshoot of the AFF, which is called ASA or All SAN Array, which is a uh, SAN-optimized and SAN-only uh, personality of uh, AFF. Uh, the thing that is uh, particularly interesting about that, and the thing that really defines it, is, is, is that with all other uh, SAN implementations on FAS or AFF, uh, we typically are going to use a Lua, and we are going to discriminate against the paths available to get from your host to the LUN that you're trying to get to. Uh, we're going to have local or the the, the shortest paths are going to be active and optimized and are going to be the ones that the host is going to use. Paths that go through the uh, partner controller, in other words, longer paths are going to be active, which means that the path could be used. If you sent data down that path, it would get to its destination and then come back to you. However, they're non-optimized. In other words, they are less preferred than the active optimized paths. So that is traditional. That's what we've been seeing with uh, uh, FAS and AFF uh, ever since SAN was initially introduced uh, in ONTAP. With ASA, we tweaked that and changed it so that now all paths are active and optimized and are advertised that way. And so what that means is, is, is that this offering is now symmetric as opposed to asymmetric. Symmetric meaning that every path I have can be used and they are all equally preferred. The benefit of doing that is, 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 is that it means that hosts have continuous access to their underlying data, regardless of what might be happening on the cluster itself, where you might be having a takeover, give back, things of that nature, because you're doing a NDO operations or non-disruptive operations or non-disruptive upgrades and things of that nature. I guess the ASA portion is something that kind of helps us break more into the tier one use cases for SAN. Praneeth, uh, what sort of SAN adoption are we seeing now, and, and especially after we uh, took on the ASA? Let's tackle this on uh, three fronts. So one, let's start with generic SAN and where we are and how we are growing in the space. If you're talking about just the market, we are one of the fastest uh, four-year growth in the industry among all major SAN leaders. 
So this is something which speaks volumes to our growing SAN adoption. And in addition to that, if we look at internally, 68% of our AFF customers run SAN on their systems, which again points out to the fact that the whole digital revolution or digital transformation that is happening, which is happening on Flash, and most of these customers are using ONTAP SAN on these Flash systems. So this is from primarily from the market front. And if we are looking at from our partner front, uh, we have very tight integrations as well as development partnerships with majority of the partners that have been known for doing SAM. So one, a couple I can talk about is uh, Brocade. We have been working with Brocade since 2016, 2017 to launch NVMe over fiber channel. So, uh, you know, I'm very proud to say that NetApp is the first to launch an end-to-end -end NVMe subsystem. So, and in addition to that, we also partner with the host operating systems such as VMware, Red Hat, uh, SUSE Linux, and, and the likes to create an end-to-end stack so that there is uh, the communication of the protocol has happens end-to-end -end and customers can leverage the benefits of the protocol. And also say that um, NetApp was the first to launch NVMe support with VMware in partnership with VMware. We have authored a couple of NetApp validator architectures along with VMware and Brocade on the same front. And coming to the technology innovation, as um, I just briefly alluded, NetApp is the first to launch end-to-end -end NVMe subsystem as also the first to launch end-to-end 32-gig fiber channel. And this, again, um, in, in terms of the performance, NetApp probably is the only uh, company out there which has put out its NVMe FC numbers that are 2 to 2.5x the performance of FC. Actually, if I could add to that, uh, so the, the NVAs or NetApp verified architectures, so what those are is, 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 is that they are reference architectures for a specific solution. Uh, there have been NVAs written for uh, best practices in a reference architecture around Oracle, another for MongoDB, another for SAP HANA. There's one for Epic that is in the works, Epic being the medical EHR that hospitals typically uh, uh, are run with. Um, and then last but not least, the one that Praneeth was mentioning, which is uh, for uh, VMware. All of these are jointly authored by uh, ONTAP or uh, NetApp, Brocade, and frequently the application vendor uh, in question, for instance, uh, VMware in the case of uh, the VMware uh, NVA. That VMware NVA in particular, I want to talk about it just because virtually everybody is running uh, VMware. Uh, what we saw is, 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 is that you set up a reference architecture, you run a load against that reference architecture first using fiber channel, and then using NVMe FC, and then comparing the results of the two. What we found in doing that is, is, is we found up to a 250%. Uh, you heard that right, 250% increase in throughput. And we got that at a cost of about 20% less latency. Um, which is, you know, startling. Other things that we found in uh, other NVAs is, is, is that in many cases, in addition to increases in throughput, reductions in latency, we also are seeing reductions in host CPU utilization. The benefit of that is, is potentially you may need fewer hosts to perform a specific, uh, you know, workflow. And so it's basically all good news, you know, uh, across the board. So how do you get that extra boost, right? Like what in the validated architectures is allowing that to happen? Well, it's not so much the, the validated architectures. So, so with the validated architecture, you're using best practices as both as NetApp defines it for ONTAP, as well as VMware uh, would in the case of the VMware or uh, SAP in the case of the SAP, et cetera. So you're doing all of that. But really, the, the difference is, 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 is that NVMe uh, protocol is simply so much more efficient than the SCSI protocol that it's replacing when you compare uh, fiber channel protocol, which in fact is fiber channel using a SCSI three command descriptor block as compared with 
uh, NVMe FC, which is NVMe encapsulated inside of a fiber channel frame, but using NVMe protocol. That protocol has a, a very, very slimmed down set of commands. There is no software locking. There are very few context switches, both of which are going to cost a lot in terms of latency. Um, and then by far the biggest single thing is, is, is the number of queues and the depths of those queues, both of which are 64K or 65,535 queues each of which have a depth of up to 65,535, which means that they are massively paralyzable, assuming that you have uh, a appropriate number of uh, processor cores that are available. And so you're gonna see the most bang for the buck on systems that have large numbers of processor cores because each one of those cores can run one of those sessions. So if you have 20 processor cores, it's equivalent of having a 20 lane highway instead of a one lane road you can fit a lot more cars down it in a given amount of time. Yeah, absolutely. So Praneeth, what about the ASA? Like how is that helping to drive adoption with our SAN customers? Right, Justin. Um, so as Mike has also pointed out earlier, uh, ASA is just a flavor of uh, SAN that we support. It is specifically a dedicated AFS system that run only SAN protocols and with a different way of accessing the LUNs. So this aspect of uh, uh, symmetric active active accessing of the LUNs is interesting to certain elements of uh, uh, certain pockets of customers. And these customers have who have shut out NetApp for a while have started opening their doors. And we are seeing increasing the number of conversations in these accounts. And we're talking about globals to the likes of the largest um, conglomerates, as well as the largest financial institutions, have opened up their doors to NetApp and have started deploying their mission-critical applications on NetApp's ASA systems. And this is just the start. And we are having more and more conversations, not just in these two verticals, but there are automotives as well as transportation. So these verticals, we are having... Um, a good foray into this, as well as the government sectors. Um, so uh, we're very proud to say that one of the top five uh, banks in US, as well as one of the top three banks in India, is using ONTAP uh, ASA systems to run their mission critical workloads. So that's interesting that you know we're starting to pick up a little bit more. What do you think was the biggest roadblock for a lot of these customers with with ONTAP and SAN? Was it you know the perception, or was it the actual technology? So, Justin, I would say it is a mix of a both. I would say it is 70% perception and 30% technology. So, though we talk a lot about the failover times, so the benefit of a symmetric active-active um, system is that at any point in time, you will have access to your data, irrespective of what is happening in the background. There's a path failover, there's a node failover, it doesn't matter. You know, you'll have continuous access to your data. That is what the benefit Symmetric Active Active provides. But given that our generic ONTAP SAN itself is capable for providing, uh, uh, I would say that is within the thresholds that even in the event of a failover, the customer would not notice it or the application would not notice it. So that is that is what has been a traditional ONTAP unified SANs uh, stand on that. But there are certain customers that are absolutely particular about what is the duration of the failover. And specifically for these customers, having the symmetric active-active eases their mind, you know, gives them a little bit of an extra comfort that no matter what happens, my data is secure. And these are that is how ASA has been progressing in these customer fronts. Basically what, what Praneeth is defining is, you know, when, when you're talking about you're putting a premium on availability, your ability to get to your data regardless of what's going on on the controller. Uh, you're, if, if that describes you as a customer, then what you're talking about is this tier one SAN. That usually, uh, and in the past, has generally been uh, 
the province of frame style arrays, which are arrays where you have large numbers of controllers or heads that are all uh, have a mesh connection to back end disk. And so you could connect to a given LUN through any number of different controllers. That's what symmetric active active indicates. Uh, with ASA, by uh, changing how it is that we advertise LUNs, we're saying that you can get to a given LUN from either the controller or its partner. So in the event that something happens to the controller that actually uh, is hosting the LUN, you can still go through the partner. So even though something may be happening there, you don't have paths through the controller hosting the LUN because uh, perhaps you are doing an upgrade and part of that is a reboot of that controller, you still have access through the other controller. And so that is the premium that tier one SAN customers typically are, are willing to pay for. Now, a big part of uh, our not having been able to uh, play effectively in that space was the fact that if you happen to be a tier one SAN uh, provider, particularly if you're selling frame style arrays, you're selling very expensive arrays uh, that are not only very expensive to build, but also very expensive to buy. And if you're interested in trying to maintain your lock on a particular account, one of the things you would probably want to do is this is talk about exactly what this array can do that others might not be able to do. And so you want to get your customers paranoid about the amount of time that uh, transition from node one to node two, those sort of things would happen in and what sort of catastrophic things are going to happen with your applications. Uh, 99.99 something percent of applications are absolutely going to be able to survive any sort of failover that ONTAP has uh, been able to have in the last 10 years. And, and, and trust me, those failovers are getting shorter and shorter by orders of magnitude over that period of time. But if I can get you paranoid about that, then what I can do is, is limit my competition to people that sell frame style arrays. And so instead of competing against 20 something storage vendors, you're competing against three. And so that's very much to your advantage to do. A second thing that has uh, been troublesome for us is the FUD that, uh, that people hear from time to time about NetApp not being a real SAN or NetApp being simulated SAN or, you know, that it is a uh, essentially a NAS pretending to be a SAN because it has a file system and has files, uh, all of which, you know, I say nonsense and, and simply point to our simulated SAN has better performance characteristics than your supposed true SAN. And at the same time, you can do unified, plus you have the data protection and all of the other value adds on tap. This is why it is that we are growing at the sort of rates that we are growing at. Yeah. And I and guess we also we market share across the entire spectrum of the market. Yeah. I mean, I guess we basically took away that argument about dedicated SAN and files and all that stuff by having a dedicated SAN, <laughs> like the yeah. ASA, right? Well, that's right. Well, and, and one of the reasons why uh, we made ASA so that it is dedicated SAN is, is, is that when we were looking at uh, the, the product and figuring out exactly what sort of attributes it would have, one of the things that we did is, is, is we went out and surveyed people who had tier one SANs and asked them, what sorts of things do you, you know, what is a absolute requirement? What is a nice to have, et cetera? And uh, one of the things that we asked and was answered is, is, is that generally speaking, people prefer uh, in, in the tier one SAN space to run uh, dedicated SAN as opposed to unified. Now, the one thing that I'm sort of curious about in that is, is, is that if you're not actually an ONTAP SAN customer, you might be answering that question based on the fact that with very few uh, exceptions, uh, you're probably running dedicated SAN because your vendor, assuming that it is not NetApp, doesn't have a unified offering. And so your choice is, is you're, you're being asked, would you prefer to do something that doesn't exist for you in your universe? So we've covered the ASA, we've covered SAN in general. Now let's talk a bit about the new features for SAN in ONTAP 9.8. So Mike, what did we offer in ONTAP 9.8? Well, so we have uh, a number of uh, exciting features. I'm going to start with uh, the first one being protocol coexistence. Up until 9.8, 
if you wanted to run NVMe protocol, that had to be in a separate storage virtual machine or also known as an SVM or in some cases as a vServer. Uh, if you thought about VMware being a hypervisor that you're able to run a variety of different virtual machines, you could think of ONTAP as being a hypervisor for storage virtual machines, each one of which is effectively, logically, a completely separate and completely secure entity in and of itself. So Intel 9.8, if you wanted to run uh, NVMe, that would be in an SVM. And if you wanted to run anything other than NVMe, that would have to be in a separate one. You can now combine those together. Doesn't sound like a very big deal, but it basically is going to give you a lot more flexibility in terms of uh, how you choose to place uh, different workloads. So that is one. Uh, in addition to that, another that we have offered, and these are, these are a couple of features that are specific to ASA, uh, one of which is large LUNs. We've been asked for a while about increasing the maximum LUN size, uh, which is currently at 16 terabytes. With ASA in 9.8, that size has increased to 128 terabytes with a containing volume, you know, the, the volume that contains uh, that LUN is uh, up to 300 terabytes. The primary beneficiaries for this are going to be people running virtualized applications, your VMwares and Hyper-Vs and so on. I would say that's probably 75 or 80% of the likely interested uh, customers in that scenario. That feature has been introduced in ASA and uh, the plan is, 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 is that it will come to ONTAP as well in a future release of ONTAP. Another uh, feature that we've added to uh, ASA specifically is persistent ports. The way per and so persistent ports works. It's specifically fiber channel only right now. But the way persistent ports works is is, is that we are an HA pair uh, architecture. So our clusters are based on HA pairs. You can combine multiple HA pairs together to create larger size clusters. But the the basic building block is two uh, nodes that share resources between the two of them and communicate. They're fairly tightly coupled together. So the way persistent ports works is, is, is let's say you have an HA pair of A700s and let's say that you have an HBA, a, a fiber channel HBA uh, that has two ports on it, say 3A and 3B. Typically uh, the HA partners are going to have a mirror image uh, physical uh, configurations. And so you're likely to have the same HBA in the same slot on the other controller. So when, you, when I create a LIF or a logical interface, this is essentially a logical port that I'm going to use to access uh, ONTAP. When I create that in 9.8 with persistent ports, ONTAP additionally creates a shadow LIF on the opposite HA pair. So if I create a LIF on node 1 and at 3A, a shadow LIF on node two, 3A is also going to be created. The purpose of that shadow lift is, is, is to take over and pretend to be, including having the same worldwide port name as the original active lift in the event that let's say you reboot node one. So from a host perspective, you rebooted node one and a path went away, you know, physically speaking, that is the one through node one, but the shadow lift took over and took over quickly enough that from a host perspective, I'm still using 3A. It just happens to be connected to node two instead of node one right now. And so that has some uh, it, fairly big advantages in terms of uh, reducing the impact of a, uh, a takeover or a give back, you know, basically where you're having a state transition. So th that would be another big one. A third feature, while not specifically a SAN feature, sort of is, uh, and that's called SMBC, which is Snap Mirror Business Continuity. Uh, what that is, is, is that allows you to essentially uh, replicate files synchronously between two sets of clusters. Uh, previously, you would have thought of those as being, here's a primary, here's a secondary, with the secondary essentially being the backup of the primary. 
uh, rather than use that, you really want to say, I just have two clusters because either could be the primary or secondary, and you could have relationships going in both directions. But the key thing is, 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 is that these are synchronous. And so that means that you have RPO of zero between the two of them. Um, the reason why I'm talking about this in the context of SAN is, is in 9.8. Uh, SMBC specifically supports block protocols. So that would be your fiber channel and iSCSI. Future releases will add NAS support and there are also additional uh, fairly significant uh, additional phases to that SMBC product that are gonna be very exciting. But what SMB do, SMBC does ultimately is this is it creates a replicated over a distance solution that allows you to have RPO zero, somewhat like a Metro cluster, except for that you're able to define this uh, more tightly. So, you know, the Metro cluster, generally speaking, it's uh, everything is replicated from, you know, one direction and the other. Whereas in the case of SMBC, uh, you could decide, I want to replicate this volume or set of volumes, which may contain some number of LUNs, but not replicate something else. Also added to that is, is the ability to essentially script and therefore automate the process of failing over from data center one to data center two. Once again, zero RPO to do that uh, so that you actually are failing over all of your application servers and OSs from one data center to another based on uh, a trigger uh, causing that script to happen, to, to execute. So this is basically for AFF uh, and ASA platforms, but AFF is only two nodes at first, right? Uh, AFF, well, an AFF is technically you could use a one node cluster, which sounds like an oxymoron. So that's theoretical. Uh, you or you otherwise, in most cases, your building block is going to be two nodes. Uh, in the case of NAS, uh, you can have a cluster diameter of up to 24 nodes or 12 HA pairs. In the case of SAN or uh, NAS and SAN together, the cluster diameter is 12 nodes. Right, but I meant, I meant in the context of SMBC, right? There's a limitation of nodes for, for this initial release? Uh, yes, yes, absolutely. So the initial SMBC release will allow you to do a HA pair, either AFF or ASA, right? Exactly. There are going to be follow-on enhancements, but uh, you know we, we'll, we'll talk about those as they get closer to uh, release. But this is pretty exciting because it literally allows you to protect your data and have access to your data, even in the event of of something as large as a site failure. So as far as um, other enhancements in ONTAP 9.8 goes, I know that we've got some new platforms that are going to be available. Is that is that something that's uh, applicable to the ASA as well? Uh, it is, as a matter of fact. So we have uh, a, a new platform in the AFF space, which is the A400, uh, uh, as well as the A250. In the ASA space, we have uh, new ASAs in the, in the form of the A250, the A400, and we're adding the A800, which is an existing platform, the AFF, and now is also available in ASA. And for whatever it's worth, uh, it have been selling like hotcakes uh, since that has uh, been introduced. Uh, gotten a lot of interest and lots of POCs uh, around that. By the way, POC is proof of concept. So this is where you would sit down and simulate or recreate a customer environment with all of their applications and configurations, you know, configured as they would have it, and then show performance and uh, what happens in the event that you inject this type of failure and, you know, how resilient are you, those sorts of things. And so it's sort of a try before you buy. So what about the new FAS 500F platform? Does that fit into the SAN story at all? Uh, you can run uh, SAN on the 500F, uh, how, or I should say FAS 500F. Uh, however, it is not a platform that supports ASA. Right, but so, you would so be able to run a traditional sand, so your fiber channel and iSCSI uh, would would be supported. Right, and in the the five the FAS five hundred F is basically our capacity SSD platform. So as far as sand goes, is there is there a reason why you wouldn't want to use a capacity SSD platform, or is that just fine? You know, I suppose that to some extent it's a business decision, but usually most people that are buying sand one of Typically, number one is, is going to be that you are 
your, your number one focus is, is that you are highly available. Number two is typically performance. Uh, so with uh, FAS 500F, you are highly available, but you're not going to have nearly the performance that you would have with uh, uh, TLC drives, for instance, or NVMe drives. Right. And so it, it depends, you know, you you know what your applications and data require. And so in some cases, this might work for that. But I believe that the FAS 500F is primarily, uh, you're, you're looking at a, a SMB uh, type of environments uh, or alternatively where the uh, FAS 500F might be the secondary in a replication relationship. And so it would be your backup or the, you know, what you failed over to as opposed to a faster platform being your primary. So um, you mentioned earlier that 99.9% of the applications don't require super fast failover. I was curious, what does that 0.1% application look like? What is that? <laughs> you know, so I don't know this for a fact because I think that this is one of those jokes where, you know, if I tell you I have to kill you sort of thing. But my guess is is something like uh, the NORAD missile tracking thing or something where you need absolutely real time, you know, to the milliseconds access to something. You know, it, it simply cannot fail. If you had a storage system that you were using in real time with a stock exchange where the difference of uh, microseconds may be the difference between profit and loss, those might be other situations where you have to have absolute real time access and cannot have any interruption in that access. Virtually everything in a corporate space, on the other hand, even you know the, the the most high performance Oracle database that you could come up with, for instance, or a SAP HANA uh, scenario, you're having an impact of a one or two or three or five or even ten second uh, uh, either timeout where you're not able to get to your data or you're having a slower access to that data is. It, you may notice it in an application. In most cases, if you don't actually have something where you're doing uh, protocol measurements and you know with the protocol analyzer or something like that, you probably won't notice it. But your application is certainly not going to roll over and play dead uh, the way it might if you simply uh, have no access for two or three minutes. Gotcha. So basically, only speaking access uh, that if, if you're talking about less than thirty or forty-five seconds. Uh, you may impact, you may notice that, hey, I hit enter and I then counted to five before I got whatever the thing is that I clicked on. Uh, but that would be the extent of the impact. Right. And, and essentially the ASA takes away that impact with the, the faster failover times. Uh, well, it's, it, it is a little bit about the faster failover and it is a lot about the fact that you have other paths that survive. Right. So uh, in the case that you have node one and node two, each of which have two paths, one to each fabric, if I reboot node one, then the two paths that go to node one are gone until you know it, node one comes back up. However, if I have two active paths, active optimized paths that I am also using that go through node two to get to a LUN that is on node one, then I still have two active paths. And so I'm still able to receive and send I.O., yeah, so they're kind of intrinsically tied together. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's it's sort of the equivalent of uh, uh, the amount of availability you have if you have an HA pair as opposed to a single node. In the case of a single node, if the single node is off or down, then you don't have access. By having another node that is able to take over and perform as though it were the node that is down, you increase availability. So you go from three nines to... Uh, Six potentially. Gotcha. Uh, earlier, you mentioned foreign LUN import, and you know how you cover that as well. Is there anything new in ONTAP nine point eight with that? Uh, so it's not specifically nine point eight, but it is uh, because foreign LUN import uh, enhancements are sort of out of band with ONTAP specifically. They're not necessarily shipped with ONTAP, uh, so they can occur outside of a given release. But something that we're doing is, 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 is that 
Uh, as with most things SAN, when you are putting together a configuration, one of the things that you need to do is, is you need to check on interoperability. So you typically are going to look at your SAN configuration and check, you know, do I have an HBA with the right firmware and is the OS uh, and all of these things, have they been qualified and are they listed in the IMT as uh, a configuration that will work? So that the same is the case with FLI. In the case of FLI, what we're doing is, is, is that we're accessing and migrating LUNs from a third-party source array. So perhaps a EMC or HDS array of some sort, for instance. So we have less that we have to worry about from an interoperability perspective, but there still are things that we have to qualify together. What we have done recently is just put together a script that we're going to start using to perform those qualifications rather than giving you a whitelist of we've tested, you know, these 50 or 500 things. Instead, here's a script that you're going to run on a Linux host that is going to issue 12 uh, SCSI queries and is going to get back the responses from those queries, is going to evaluate those responses and say, this response is sane, it's what I'm expecting, and therefore I'm going to call it a pass. If you pass all 12 of those queries, you've got a 95% or higher confidence interval that FLI is going to work successfully to import LUNs from that foreign source to uh, ONTAP. And to give you sort of a notion of the uh, number of LUNs that have been imported as of January of 2019, I really do need to update my, my query of this. But at that point in time, we had uh, migrated just under 300,000 LUNs, which works out to about nine and a half uh, petabytes uh, worth of data from uh, various third-party arrays. So this is a feature that runs within ONTAP. It's free, there's no licensing associated with it. It's just built into ONTAP, has been from ONTAP 8.3 going forward. It is by no means the only way that you can move uh, block data but it is one that you, you could use FLI to move anything you wanted to. There are lots of other ways you might use. For instance, if you have VMware, you probably would use storage vMotion, or you would certainly look at that as one of your first options for doing that. If you have logical volume manager, you might do LVM mirroring to move that data from one to the other. And so there's, there's lots of options. Uh, you know, think of it, you know, if you are a carpenter, you typically have a belt with uh, screwdrivers, hammers, uh, pliers, various other things. Each of those tools are good for doing certain things, but not great for doing others. So you wouldn't use a pair of pliers or a screwdriver to drive a nail, for instance. And so the same applies with foreign LUN imports. So it is one way, and it is a universal way. In other words, you can move anything with it. However, there are, are other approaches that what you will use in some cases. So my saying nine petabytes is the amount moved by FLI. You have at least that number, perhaps a larger number than that used by, basically moved by other uh, options like uh, storage vMotion and LVM mirroring uh, and uh, database log shipping and so forth. Yeah, this is basically a path of least resistance when you're trying to migrate data. Like what's going to get me the mm -hmm. fastest with the least amount of downtime? Well, so that's the other thing about it. In terms of fastest, it is by far the fastest. Uh, and, you know, it, when you think about how it actually operates, it makes sense that it would be. Because essentially you're doing a background block copy within Waffle from one LUN in Waffle to another LUN in Waffle. So you can imagine just how fast that would be as compared with something where you have an operating system and maybe a server in the mix and so on. Uh, so in terms of just raw speed, we literally are copying block one through block 10,000, block one, block two, block three, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, as we move forward. And so you simply aren't gonna get it, uh, do faster in terms of speed. Yeah, but then the there's, hand, there's there's uh, a cutover. Right? Where admins are going to like storage vMotion because it's something they're very familiar with already. Yeah, but with with the Fortlane import, you know, unless you have a configuration that allows you to do a non-disruptive move, you, there's a cutover period where that's going to take an outage. Whereas something like storage vMotion or log shipping is not going to have that same sort of outage. Exactly, which is why it is that if those are options available to you. 
you certainly are going to want to look at them. In some cases, you may still want to use uh, FLI. I have one customer, a very large customer, that chose to use FLI even though they were an environment that was primarily VMware with uh, some databases. So you had approaches that would have been completely non-disruptive. They still chose to use, uh, and, uh, use FLI because by their calculation, it would have taken them about five years to migrate uh, using uh, vMotion and log shipping and LVM mirroring, et cetera, as compared with FLI, which they were able to accomplish in under six months. So with FLI, if I move a line from a source system that maybe is misaligned or isn't configured correctly, do we have any remediation steps on our end that allows us to, to resolve that problem? So in the case of any of the other options that you might use to move that LUN, you're going to then have to perform some sort of remediation. If you're using FLI, we are going to remediate if you have a alignment issue. We also are going to remediate if that LUN is 32 gig or at 32 bit. Uh, we will uh, essentially, when we import it, it, we will also convert it to being uh, aligned and also 64 bit. And so if either of those two are considerations, FLI is likely to end up being your first choice because you get both of those essentially for free as part of the import. Nothing special you have to do. So far, what the perception has been of NetApp as not a tier one SAN player has slowly been eroding. We have started gaining um, significant market share. We have been the fastest growing SAN vendor for, for a while. And with the new innovations and the focus on providing better user experience for our customers and trying to be trying to build systems that are designed, that are designed for the future. Uh, so for instance, any of the latest ONTAP system, uh, AFF systems that a customer purchases will be able to run the future generation protocols such as NVMe FC, NVMe Rocky, as well as NVMe or TCP. So we are trying to build in um, a, a perfect system for the customers to address all their use cases, no matter what application they run, what performance they need, uh, all of that would be packaged and future-proofed uh, using ONTAP-SAN. Yeah, so actually to, to add to that, so for instance, if you're running ONTAP-SAN right now and you're using fiber channel protocol uh, for a database or an ERP or something like that, uh, basically, you could at any time when it is useful for you to do, convert that from FC to NVMe FC and use exactly the same components. Uh, however, you're using a different protocol and because you're using that different protocol, you're going to get the advantages of that. So uh, increases in throughput, reductions in latency, uh, potential reductions in host CPU utilization, and you get all of that almost transparently just because you changed from using uh, a SCSI LUNs with say fiber channel protocol to NVMe namespaces with uh, NVMe protocol. Oh, actually one other thing I, I'd forgotten to mention. So with ONTAP, a LUN is a LUN. It is not transport, you know, it's transport agnostic. So a LUN is not a fiber channel LUN or an iSCSI LUN. A LUN that is mapped to a fiber channel iGroup is a fiber channel LUN. However, if you mapped that exact same LUN to an iSCSI iGroup, it would now be an iSCSI LUN. So in other words, I can access that LUN with either of those two protocols because the underlying uh, command structure is SCSI. In the case of NVMe, we have exactly the same uh, scenario where I have an NVMe namespace. And by the way, namespace is the equivalent of a LUN. It is a basically an array of blocks that I'm presenting to a storage initiator or a, a host. But with NVMe, I create a namespace. I can access that namespace using NVMe FC, but I can also access it using uh, RDMA over converged ethernet or Rocky or NVMe TCP. And in fact, I'm actually editing a video right now that I ultimately am going to post uh, among other places on the uh, NetApp uh, tech channel on YouTube showing accessing an NVMe namespace using all three of those protocols 
uh, concurrently from the same host and show that if I down, say, the NVMe FC protocol, I still am, you know, all the, the, the traffic is then going to move to the remaining two. And I basically show going from one to the other to the other and back again. And so it really does give you a lot of flexibility. If you have fiber channel uh, in at site A, you might use NVMe FC. You could replicate those namespaces to site B that perhaps does not have any fiber channel. You might use NVMe TCP or uh, Rocky to access those very same uh, namespaces there. So, Mike, uh, you had some insight sessions on SAN. Do you recall what the numbers of those are so people can look them up later? Uh, I had session 1216 uh, was the number of the session, and it basically talked about modern SAN using ASA and talked about the advantages of ASA and, and showed exactly how it is that path failovers worked and proved uh, that you have continuous access in the event of uh, node failure and so on. And so it was, it was very much focused on that. Yeah, and if, and if you want to find those Insight sessions, if they're no longer available on the Insight site, you can go to tv.netup.com, and we have several of those posted up there for your viewing pleasure. Uh, what else do we have out there for people to find information? So we have a variety of TRs. Uh, there's a SAN best practice TR, which is TR4080. Uh, there is an ASA defining TR, which is TR4515. There is a modern SANS with NVMe. TR, which is TR4684. Uh, you don't need to remember all of those numbers. Uh, you can do a search uh, for TRs and uh, uh, NetApp SAN or ONTAP SAN or ONTAP NVMe, and you'll you'll find them uh, Google search that way as well. Okay. Of course, there's a uh, you know standard. Uh, you know, there's also ONTAP documentation that documents. Uh, 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 basically how exactly to provision, configure, uh, and manage uh, each of those. These TRs are essentially overlays of that that talk about best practices and recommendations for you know, optimizing these environments. All right, excellent. So Mike, if we wanted to reach you, uh, how do we do that again? Uh, either mpeppers at netapp.com or uh, on Twitter at ntapflyguy. And Praneeth. So mine is vkavuri. V-K-A-V-U-R-I at the rate of netapp.com. All right, excellent. We'll include those in the show notes along with any sort of links to documentation that was mentioned to this so you don't have to go hunting it down while you're listening to this. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via TechOnTapPodcast.com. If you'd like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap Podcast team, I'd like to thank Mike Peppers and Praneet Kavari for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.